It's time now for super psychologist, Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years. Welcome to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years this Sunday and every Sunday at 5 p.m. Central Time and at 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmarakarpell.com and also now on Apple Podcasts. And today is Sunday, July the 19th, 2020, and I'm psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell, and I'm coming to you live hot Austin, Texas, and I hope that you're all staying safe and cool wherever you are. Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, producer of this program, is here to make the show run smoothly as usual, and we have another great program in store for you this evening to help keep you cool. And in a little while after the break, we'll be joined on the phone from New York City by Michael Caputo, author of the autobiography, Dear Pat Cooper, and also an LGBTQ advocate. And he'll be joining us for a conversation about both topics. And we'll also go back to Bay of Vendettas, Mexico, to hear from the twins, Minerva and Ruben, with more beautiful spots to visit. And Keith Grimwood and partner Ezra Eidlett of Trout Fishing in America will be joining us to talk about their journey and what's happening during their hiatus in the music world. And throughout this evening's program, we will have time to take your questions. So if you have any questions or comments for me or for my guests, please feel free to give a call. The toll-free number is 855-345-4720. That's 855-345-4720. Or you can email your questions to me, and I will read them on the air. And my email address is drmara, that's D-R-M-A-R-A, at drmarakarpel.com, D-R-M-A-R-A-K-A-R-P-E-O.com. And you can hear this evening's program again by going to my website and the link to the podcast and any website addresses that we give on the program will be posted later tonight. And you can also hear this program is in as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going to blogtalkradio.com, B-L-O-G, talkradio.com slash your golden years and you can also go to apple Podcasts, and it'll be there five minutes after the show ends and for information from previous programs to listen to previous programs or anything else going on with my book my show the blogs anything it's a one-stop shop go to drmarakarpel.com and you can also hear all of the previous programs for the last six and a half years by going to blogtalkradio.com slash your golden years and Apple Podcasts will also have the last six and a half years since we've been on Blog Talk Radio. And for future events, upcoming shows, um, blogs that are recently posted, follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. This show is produced for productions and spiked up productions. And we're going to take a brief break, but don't go anywhere. It'll be a very brief break. And when we come back, we'll be joined right here on the phone from New York City by Michael Caputo, author of the autobiography, Dear Pat Cooper, an LGBTQ advocate. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Super psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell will be back after words from our sponsors. Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed for services or supplies you never receive. There are three easy things you can do to fight fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and be on the lookout for suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or your local SHIP counselor at the Area Agency on Aging at 1-800-252-9240. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years 
live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. All right, and we are back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden ears on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And now joining us on the phone. And LGBTQ. Sorry, I got lost there for a second. We have author of the book, Dear Pat Cooper, and LGBTQ advocate, Michael Caputo. Welcome, Michael. Hello, Mara. How are you? Thank you for having me on. Wonderful. Thank you for joining us. And I, I just want to give you a little reminder. There's about a two-second delay when we speak like this, so it's good to keep that in mind. Um, okay. How are you? How are you? I'm, I'm good. I'm very, very well. Great. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for making time to join us this evening on a Sunday. Um, it's my pleasure, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So <laughs> um, maybe you, we can start with just a little bit about your background, and then we can talk, we could talk about your book and then jump into the other topic. How's that? Okay. All right. I'm an <laughs> Italian-American, born and raised in Brooklyn. Uh, Park Slope, Brooklyn is my first 10 years of my life. Uh, and then various other neighborhoods. Uh, I was born in the, the late 50s. I'm 63 yesterday. And uh, oh, happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you, Mara. <laughs> uh, and uh, my father is comedian uh, Pat Cooper, who will be mm-hmm. 91 on the 31st of the month. Uh, he lives in Las Vegas, as far as I know. And uh, I had a very close relationship with his mom and of course my mother uh and he's been estranged from the family i would say for uh now probably over 50 years the mm-hmm. whole family mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so that's a little bit about me yeah so what led you to write this book dear pat cooper well, uh, my father always had a voice, and he, he's a, been a great comic, but a terrible dad. And uh, I used to watch him on TV. Uh, I see my father probably more on television than I've seen him in person. And I would hear him on the radio. And uh, one, one time he was on the Howard Stern show, and I don't know what propelled it, but he started talking very badly about my family. And when I say my family, it's his family too. Started talking badly mm-hmm. about my mother and mostly about his mother too and my sister. He only has two uh, biological children from uh, uh, my mother who was his first wife and his second wife, he has an adopted daughter who I don't really know, but I know of her. And um, I just said, you know, and my friend Bill had called me up because he was a big Howard Stern fan and said, Mike, you know, why don't you call up Howard Stern and why don't you get, uh, you know, why don't you get him on, on, on the phone? He'll let you speak. I said, but I'm nobody. Yeah, you know, what am I going to say? You know, I'm, I'm Pat's son and, and Howard's going to make me speak. I had no idea even who Howard Stern was at the time because I really wasn't a fan. So I called up and Howard Stern puts me on the phone. And I start to talk. And this becomes a whole involved conversation with my father, who was being very, being kind of cordial to me. But he was mentioning things. Why didn't you do this when you were younger? Why didn't you do that? So when I finally got through the conversation with him, which was probably, I don't know, maybe 40 minutes, maybe half an hour. I was taping it all at the time. We had cassettes. And I was taping everything. Uh, I had called my sister up and told her what just happened. And then, and then she called in the radio station and she got on the radio station for a while. The big, wow. Brudel on the phone, on the phone and the, and the radio. And then after uh-huh. I, I heard my sister getting done, I called my grandmother up 
who didn't understand, you know, how you can call up on the phone and get on the radio, you know. And uh, I made my father's mother call up, and she and he said such terrible things. And then that became like, you know, uh, made radio, uh, radio ratings history for that year. But a couple of mo- I was working a couple of months after that. I ended up getting on uh, the Geraldo Rivera show because I was working there, and they didn't know who my father was. And I was watching to see what shows were going to come up next. And when I saw something, Can Fatherhood Be Forced? I uh, approached the producer, and I asked her about what that was going to be about. And then I told her who I was. And at the time, I was an intern working for Geraldo and Joan Rivers. And she said, and she pulled a piece of paper off her desk, and she showed me that she had called Howard Stern trying to get the Caputo family's telephone number because wow. she had heard that radio, you know, and that, uh, you know, and then my father didn't appear on the show with me with Geraldo, but he acted, you know, he actually mocked me and knocked me on national television. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I finally got a voice now. I'm going to write a book and tell the truth about my loving family, which he made it look like we were very unloving and uh, he was the only person that ever complained about my family, the only person that ever complained about his mother, because everybody loved my grandmother. And uh, I just felt I needed to, to get the truth down of what really took place and how he just walked away from the family. And he didn't want to mm-hmm. become a part. Also, I wanted to let people know what it was like to be a, a fatherless boy. Because when I was growing up in the 60s in my neighborhood, there wasn't anybody on the block that didn't have a mom and dad in the house. Now it's mm-hmm. every other home seems to be, you know, they have a second mother, a stepmother, you know, a stepfather, uh, you right. know, they're from the first, you know, all that. So I wanted to get that across and to uh, speak about that, what that feels like when, you know, you know, cause a young boy and young girl also needs their dad. And I never had that. And I chased them all my life. And I wanted to see if my book could, maybe even help one person uh, Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. going through that now, presently, not understanding that being so young, you know, where's my father? Is it my fault? He's not around. Or where's my mother? Is it my fault? She's not around. And uh, that's how I decided to write the book. So, you know, I mean, it's a really interesting book and, you know, I'm, I'm from Brooklyn, so it was very interesting to see the area and, you know, I recognized everything and I watched the video of the Geraldo interview because you have it on your website. Right. So, but, but what is the, what do you think are some of the lessons that maybe you learned from your journey that maybe other people might Um, know that? It might sound a cliche uh, to say it, but, you know, parents are supposed to love you unconditionally. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to find unconditional love. I think parents automatically tend to have that, and you just think they're going to. And I found that you can't make somebody love you if they don't have the ability to love Mm-hmm. And I learned that <laughs> not the first year, the second year, the third year. I learned that after 50 years of chasing my father, or even longer than that, actually. Mm-hmm. That there's nothing mm-hmm. that I can do that could ever bring us closer, or there's nothing I did that pulled us apart. It was just the kind of man that he was. And, uh, you know, I missed out on that love, and it was very, it was very hurtful. And I always thought that I could win it back somehow, that for some way I can get his approval or I can get his love or I I can get close to him. And uh, Mm -hmm. my grandmother started the relationship. My mother was a very, very good daughter-in-law in in the fact that she, you know, we lived in my grandmother's house rent-free for seven years because my father didn't want to give my mother alimony. And he told my grandmother, his own mother, well, if they can't pay the rent, throw them out, you know? kind of thing. And my grandmother said, I would not throw my grandchildren out of the house, blah, blah, blah. Uh, long story short. So when my, there was no internet back then, there was nothing back then except newspapers. So my father was coming into town 
she would open the papers up and say, your father's going to be at the Copa. Would you like to go see your father? And my grandmother tried to bring me to my father to try to develop a relationship. Cover of my book is me, my grandmother, and my father at the Copa Cabana. And just to try mm-hmm. to bring me. And, every, and my mother never said to my, to, my, uh, to my grandmother, Ma, no, I don't want you to bring my son to him. He's not paying alimony. I don't, my, mother, my mother never stepped in between. She allowed me to go with my grandmother to go see her son and my father and to try to get a relationship. And then when I got old enough to go see my father on my own and watch when he was coming into town, I would say, Graham, you want to come along? Let's come along with me. And I tried to bring them together. And that didn't work. Mm-hmm. So it was like this play mm-hmm. between me and my grandmother of helping each other. But um, that's a, that was a really it... hard lesson. My mother always told yeah. me, she, meant, she said to me, go ahead, go, go. You're going you're gonna to see who he is. You know, when I always used to hear my mother sometimes tell other people, I will not stop him from going to see his father. You know, he needs to go. He needs to learn who his father really is, you know. And I learned. Right. Well, I think, you you know, um, one one thing that's really clear in your book and even in your telling of the story is that it's pretty amazing that you had such a close relationship with your grandmother, your father's mother, own mother, that, you know, she was, you know, she stepped in. You know, I, I that's the kind of woman that she was. She was a... a mm-hmm. You know, she worked in a factory. She used to make coats for us. People on the block, she'd make coats for them. She was a very loving woman, and she was a, had people in on Christmas Eve, uh, open-door policy. Um, she was really my heart. And, um, it, you know, sometimes she would cry to me about a son. What did I do? You know, she mm-hmm. was also separated from her husband, who cheated on her. Uh, right. So my father never had a relationship with his father. Now, I know that my father didn't chase his father like I chased my father. That's for sure. But I used to think to myself when I was younger, I wonder if this is generational. You know, it's like, you know, if I get uh-huh. married and I have children, am I going to be the same kind of dad? No, I'm going to be the best dad in the world. I'm not going to treat my son like my father treated me, you know. But maybe he didn't really know how to be a, a father because, you know, he had this disdain for his dad and he had a very bad relationship. And they, I guess they laughed. And they were, you know, from a different generation. And he wanted to be a comic. And he'd make all these funny faces at the dinner table and everything. And they used to say, stop it. You know, they used to reprimand him for that. Like it was wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you know and he said he wanted to be a comic. And he never, I don't know if he told them that or not. But it's sort of like, you know, they didn't understand that. Where his sister right. was an opera singer, and they sent her for opera lessons, and I think he resented that because they respected her because she wanted to be an opera singer, and he wanted to be a comic, and they just looked at him like he was being a, a buffoon. So, right, right. And I think he had a resentment for his parents, and he, he held that mm-hmm. for so many years, and I can't believe that you know after a matter of time you get over something like that, and I, well, he just never did. Now he's going to be 91 and he's just the same way. (laughs) Well, you made a really good point that you can't force somebody who's not able to love to love. Mm -hmm. But it it sounds to me, and I'm going to use this as sort of like a pivot point (laughs) to me, like you, you learned how to love really well because of your mom and your grandmother who is, who really, you know, like I said, she stepped in for her own son. Um, and and the lesson that you learned, knowing that what it's like not to have, uh, you know, someone in your life that, who's supposed to love you, love you. And it sounds like you have used that in a positive way and you've become an advocate for other people. Um, yep. Can you talk a little mm-hmm. bit about your advocacy? Because I, you know, I think that hard lessons sometimes and difficult situations sometimes, rather than turning us into bitter people, they can actually help us to bring out our own gifts. Right. Well, the whole, you know, the whole gay thing, as you know, there's so many uh, terms and definitions that are new today. But when I was younger. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, and uh, 
I had a girlfriend and everything. It's what you did. And being gay or flamboyant in Brooklyn was very dangerous. Uh-huh. The only way you mm-hmm. kept yourself alive or not being hurt or beat up. I mean, I've got names called at me and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I kept my uh, – I didn't never looked at myself as being uh, homosexual because I figured I had a girlfriend. I was intimate with her. I knew I wanted to get married mm-hmm. someday. And I, w- I wanted to have children someday. So I figured, you know, um, fool around with the guy, you know, around the block, the kid around the block from me. That was my age, you know. And it was not a big deal. But as I got older, and I figured I could always hide it because, you know – you could always hide. You could hide it easier when you're 16 or 17. I mean, if you're not, you know, very effeminate or whatever, and that's just a stereotype uh-huh. anyway. But uh, you could hide it because you could always say, oh, you know, if somebody says, where's your girlfriend or how come we not get married? Well, I'm thinking about college. Or, oh, he's thinking about his career first. So he could have an excuse. But the older you get, the harder it is to hide something like that. And I've seen mm-hmm. people, you know, being, you know, called names and, and, and what I went through about being bullied growing up, uh, and uh, also now I, I took sort of like, I, I never realized how political everything was, and it's even more political mm-hmm. things today, but how political the whole gay scene went. When I got into the gay scene and started going to the clubs, uh, you know, the uh, Stonewall riots had already happened in 69, so you were able to have gay clubs, you were able to dance with guys in a club, and they, and they would, it was disco time, and they were all over the place in all the boroughs. But you just mm-hmm. had to go to the city for, city for most of them. You know, I, and in, in Brooklyn, they had the straight ones. So you had, a, you had to really be very, very careful. And the reason why I'm into all of this now, to be honest with you, because I was never really very political as a young youngster. I never voted and never even got into it is since Donald Trump got in. And I've seen all the hate mm-hmm. against my community and all the racism that's going on. And we, we see what's going on now on television. It just drives me, drives me mad that, uh, you know, that, uh, that, that so many people hate people in my community, especially uh, mm-hmm. at a time, at my time coming up into it, a lot of people didn't understand it. We were, we were looked at as like we were sick and we were all perverted and degenerates. And, uh, that's what we were. And, um, especially the religious community who persecuted us. I mean, I remember being at some of the parades. Uh, this was when the uh, AIDS epidemic hit, first hit, uh-huh. and everybody was really paranoid. And I would always see all the religious people there with crucifixes at the parade saying this is God's answer to homosexuality, mm. you know? And now I see mm-hmm. it now, you know, in a different way. You know, they might, we're not, we might not be able, we're not, we're not allowed to march in the St. Patrick's Day Parade, okay, because it mm-hmm. uh, has to do with religion. And then you see people on, you know, TV, uh, you know, Trump just took away all the health care of the transgenders, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Completely, during a pandemic of all times, you know. And that just drives, right. it just drives me crazy to see something like that. Why are we persecuting now, human beings, you know? Now, you and I, when we were having a conversation, we, you know, it kind of connected in a way to your experience with not having your father there. Um, we talked about young people whose parents disown them when they come out. Exactly. Uh, and they, or they'd be like, for example, like if, uh, if Mike Pence was my father, he's an evangelical Christian, okay? I call them all counterfeit Christians because I went to Catholic school for 12 years and they taught me mm-hmm. in that school whether they were, they were being hypocrites or not to love thy neighbor as thyself or to mm-hmm. try to emulate Jesus as closely as you can. You know, that was the, that was the, their mantra. And I, um, if I was his son, what he would probably do is he would probably put me in conversion therapy. Mm-hmm. And that is, as, mm-hmm. in my opinion, is child abuse. And I've seen stories and things on TV that kids will put there. Or the parents will just, you know, if the kids don't change, would, would they think they can just change them, uh, they will kick them out of the house. And so, so, those kids will commit suicide, end up on right. drugs. And one of the right. reasons why the highest rate of suicide among the LGBTQ youth is because of that reason. 
So what are you doing right now in terms of advocacy? I mean, I know that you're you're writing a book. And, uh, right. I'm writing and, a book about, you know, about basically about, I'm mostly writing a book about uh, guys that are sort of like leaving double life, even in mm-hmm. 2020, you know, mm-hmm. having uh, relations with men uh, while they're married or have children, have families, and they're just very secretive and just, you know, very secretive about it, you know. Uh-huh. Um, as far as my advocacy is concerned, I'm not out in the streets marching and doing all that stuff, but I try to do most of my stuff online as best as I can to get the message across mm-hmm. and to, uh, you know, uh, follow what my community is doing and uh, uh, locally, even with the senior citizens, because uh, with SAGE, so senior gays uh, and all that mm. and all that. That's why I try mm-hmm. to do the best I can with that. Uh, right. I also try to get the message across. And, you know, sometimes I come across very angry, but I guess it's because I really am very angry. I'm not going to deny that. I'm very angry at, at uh, the way, uh, you know. You're passionate. <laughs> I'm passionate about I'm passionate about my community and everything. Like I said, I never was political about it because I always try to keep it a secret. I didn't want anybody to know. So I wasn't out there with a flag or anything. And, uh, you know, we weren't able to get married when I was younger. So there was no future. And, you know, you, you fool around with guys and then you go home to your girlfriend or your wife. You go back with your girlfriend, uh, you know, with your arm around her and you just pretend uh, to do that. And I've even had a couple right. of cousins of mine who end up marrying men, having children with them. Uh, and they're separated now. And uh, some are divorced. And their husbands didn't come out to them until 20 years after the relationship. Because when mm-hmm. they got married, it was a different time. So they ended right. up marrying, you know, gay men. You know? Right. Uh, so what a shame that is. If you can't live authentically, yeah, you know, painful. what's, what's, what's yeah. the point? What's the point? And the, I, I'm, more, I'm basically more concerned about uh, the youngsters, to be honest with mm-hmm. you. Because mm-hmm. an, adult, uh, an adult can deal with it. When a parent kicks you out of the house, like I said, I chased my father for so many years. He didn't kick me out right. of the house. He just left the house. I know how painful mm-hmm. that was. I can't imagine what it would be like for your father to take you and drag you out of the house and say, no, ever come back here. You're not my son or you're not my daughter. And mm-hmm. just cast you out. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then Sunday comes, go to church and call himself a Christian. It mm-hmm. seems so, you know, it's so hypocritical to me. Right, right. You know? Yep. We were we were talking about those. There, I forgot the name of the group, but there's a group of mothers who give free hugs at at the uh, pride parade for young people oh, whose parents uh, left. Right. Right. And right. I thought and I thought about you and your story because it it sort of connects. You know, um, they they're without their parents because of who they are. Right. That's got to be mm-hmm. the saddest thing to me, to be honest with you. And then I look at some of the, uh, you know, in my day, like you were either gay, straight, or bisexual. Now you could be mm-hmm. transgender. You, you identify as something. It's on even the employment applications. How do you identify yourself? I identify right. myself as a man, you know, and that's how I identify myself. I don't say gay or straight like that, but I identify as a male. And well, you don't have to answer right. it. You don't have to identify yourself as anybody. You know, but mm-hmm. I find, you know, with the transgenders that I, with the transgenders, especially with the, the murder rate, what's happening with the transgenders, especially the ones of color that I'm seeing now mm-hmm. is just unbelievable. It's, it's, it's just unbelievable to me, you know, uh, mm-hmm. what's, what's happening with them. And in my day, you know, I, the only, I didn't really know any transgenders, but I did know drag queens. And when I used to mm-hmm. go to the clubs in my day, the drag queens used to dress up as, uh, as the female stars. Maybe it was Cher or it was uh, Judy right. Garland or Barbara Streisand, and they would lip sync to the songs. And, I, you mm-hmm. know, I thought it was entertainment. It was cute at the time. But then I would say, you know, you know this is, I'm not really attracted to that kind of a guy. I'm, you know, I'm a homosexual guy, a masculine guy looking for another masculine guy. But right. that was a form of entertainment. But some people think that, you know, because a man is a homosexual, he wants to wear women's clothes and they're all, they all want to change to be a woman. A lot of people don't have an understanding 
of what gay is, of what transgender is, you know, pre and post op operation. And mm -hmm. they just think that there's, they just think that there's something wrong with them, not realizing that they were born that way as a transgender. I mean, I can't mm -hmm. think of anything that would be, you know, more difficult than being born as, born as, um, well, born as a female mm -hmm. with a vagina and know that you're really a, a man inside mm -hmm. and have to change that. And maybe you can't afford to change that or you have to go through to do that with all the hormones mm -hmm. and the money that it costs. You know, I, I don't right. even know what that, I can't even imagine what that could possibly be. I knew it was hard enough for me to be a male and be attracted to other men at a time when it wasn't, you know, it was like very, not, not a good thing and dangerous, mm -hmm. especially in the boroughs. Mm -hmm. Right. I was most afraid right. of, I was most afraid of getting hurt. Or have anybody mm -hmm. finding out? Because I didn't even. Think, it took me till I was forty something years old to tell my mother. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and uh, she cried when I told her. And then you know, she was a religious woman, and she cried. And then she just said, "Well, you're my son, and I still love you anyway." And it made me, you know, feel so good. And I said to myself, "My God, why did I wait so long?" Because I was afraid mm -hmm. that she wasn't going to love me once I told her. Right. So that's the I'm rejection sure. part that you're afraid, and and the child definitely would not understand that, especially when a parent yeah. physically takes you and throws you out of the house. I mean, I I, I can't even imagine that as, as being thrown out of the house as an adult, you know, but being a child, you know, 13, mm -hmm. 12, 15. So, Michael, you know. um, if listeners are interested in finding out more about you and about your book, Dear Pat Cooper, and even finding out when your new book comes out and just like connecting with you and finding out like all the things that you're posting about and interesting articles that you're putting out there, how can they do that? How can listeners find you on the internet? Well, they can go to my website. It's called dearpatcooper.com. Mm -hmm. And they have my uh, email address on there. And they could write all to right. me. Mm -hmm. That's where they'll find my book and they'll see my bio and all that stuff. Okay, great. So I'm going to post that on on the website post about this show mm -hmm. on, on my website, so people can just go and click on it later if they if they missed this, didn't put it, didn't have their pen and paper ready. Um, Thank you so much for, for being on the show, and, and please keep me updated about the new book. So I definitely will, Mara. We're in touch all the time. I definitely will keep in touch. That's right. And I appreciate you having me on and giving me time. Yes, thank you so much for joining us. I really, I appreciate it. And um, it. stay safe up there. And I will. You cool. too, down there in Texas. <laughs> okay. I know. Bye-bye. <laughs> all right. Bye-bye now. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we have more to come. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed for services or supplies you never receive. There are three easy things you can do to fight fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and be on the lookout for suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or your local SHIP counselor at the Area Agency on Aging at 1-800-252-9240. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaracarpel.com. All right, and we are back. If you just joined us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And in a little while, we're going to be, we have a packed show. We're going to have the twins on talking about Mexico and then um, we're going to have our musical guest, Trout Fishing in America. But I just wanted to talk for a couple of minutes uh, before we go on to that um, about something to help us all in living a passionate life during this very difficult time. 
Um, it really is a difficult time in America and in, in the world, but right now, especially in America, um, with the highest rate of this pandemic and with a lot of, um, you know, fear and angry people and <laughs> um, and a lot of things happening here in America. So how do we wake up in the morning? Um, for some of us, I know for you know some when I when I wasn't working very much um, at the beginning of this, now I finally have found some work. Um, but I, I, for many people, it's been very difficult to have worked. Um, it feels like every day is the same, like Groundhog Day, and it's hard to find your passion or reconnect to it, or find a feeling of joyfulness, which, you know, we really need in order to keep us going and to keep us interested and and doing great things in the world. We have to find that joy within ourselves. Um, you know, otherwise, people start to make bad choices. If we're not able to find a way to make um, life have some meaning, while we're in while we're in isolation, then we're likely to do things that may cause more danger. Um, and I think that's why there are people going out and doing dangerous things, like you know, hanging out at the beach in crowds, or going to bars, or you know, when the rate of infection here is going up. And I think it's because people are feeling like they just they can't find meaning any other way. And um, so I want to talk just for a few, for three minutes <laughs> about how to find passion and joy in this time. And I think I just said it. I think finding meaning and purpose. So how do we find meaning and purpose? The number one way to get yourself out of depression and to find meaning in your life is to do something to help somebody else. So, you know, I, I, in discussing what passion is, and I've been interviewed several times about my book and about, you know, why it's called The Passionate Life, my definition for passion has evolved as I've spoken about it. And so it's not really just doing something that you like to do, but it's doing something that you enjoy, that you have a gift that perhaps thoroughly um, you can learn to do something that you enjoy, even if you're not particularly gifted at it. And doing it to help other people in some way, whether it's even painting uh, something beautiful that you share with the world to have other people enjoy it or to inspire other people to also do something artistic and creative like that. So when we keep it to ourselves, the joy that comes with it, the passion that comes with it is only short-lived. But when we share it and we use it to inspire people and help other people, that's where we have a greater meaning and purpose. So it can be something artistic like that or it can be doing something to help people, whether it's um, if you have the money, making donations, if you, you know, right now we can't go and, necessarily go and do things to help other people, but we might. There are volunteers that are needed if somebody is well enough and, and strong enough and able to and not, you know, doesn't feel vulnerable, they can volunteer. Um, we can volunteer from home. We can do letter writing campaigns for an important cause. Um, we can get on the computer and let people know about important issues and Start let it you know fundraisers for um, for other people doing something for somebody else. We can you know I mentioned this calling a neighbor, um, calling uh, somebody you know who's stuck at home and and can't get out right now. Calling them and asking them if they need something when you go to the store. Calling them just to check on them. How are you? Are you all right? Making a connection. These may sound like really small things, but they're very powerful um, in helping people, and they're very powerful in finding our sense of meaning and purpose 
in our lives. And it starts with really small things. So even when we go to the store and we wear a mask and we know, we remind ourselves, even though I don't like wearing this mask, I'm doing it for the other people here because that's how masks work, then there's more purpose and meaning in that simple act. So I'm going to leave you with that, and I'm going to talk more next week about kindness and generosity and the power of that. But now we're going to go to Mexico with Minerva and Ruben, who are in Bay of Vendettas. Galveston Bay Feel the waves The heart of the 
Joining us now on the phone. Hi there. Hey. Hi there. Hey. Are you both on the line? We're both on the line. We're speaking into one phone. Okay. All right. Well, welcome. Welcome. Um, Thank you. I just want to. I just want to let you know that when we speak like this, there's a, about a two-second delay. So it's good to keep that in mind. So. Okay. Um, why don't you tell her tell us a little bit about your musical background, uh, how Trout Fishing in America got started? Trout, Trout Fishing in America has been going on for a really long time now. I met Ezra. This is Keith speaking. I met Ezra back mm-hmm. in 1976. Uh, at the time, he was playing in Houston at a band called St. Elmo's Fire. And I was playing in a band called the Houston Symphony Orchestra. It was a okay. cover band. It was a cover <laughs> band. Yeah, anyway, right. <laughs> we, uh, the orchestra had a lockout, and their bass player quit, so I took off on the road with them. And then when that band broke up, and even while St. Elmo's was going on, Ezra and I would play shows as the two of us. And when we did, we would call it Trout Fishing in America. Hmm. Okay, so you guys have been around for a while playing together. We're um, ancient. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and where are you lo- where are you located now? We're calling you from Northwest Arkansas, from the hills of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're oh, in the wow. recording okay. studio. Ezra has a recording studio at his house, and we're calling you from the recording studio. Wow, cool. Um, all right, so. We just played one of your songs, September, uh, almost September. Can you tell us a little bit about that song? If uh, if you if you're from Texas and you went to the beach in Galveston, it was mm-hmm. a, a definitely different experience from what we were listening to on AM radio about the California beaches and surfing out there. It was a wonderful experience, just a little different, and this was kind of a song about our Texas Gulf Coast experience on the beach. Uh-huh. Okay. When you would All go right. when you would go down to the beach, you would just drive down to Galveston and hang out there and like as we said, it just wasn't like this big surf party the beach boys were having, but it was a whole different, <laughs> it was a little calmer. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. So um, where have you guys played? Have you been where? I mean, right now, obviously, you're not performing anywhere. But <laughs> where were you? Where were you guys performing? Well, let's see. Over the course of our career, we have played in all 50 states. Uh, we're a road mm-hmm. band. We travel. Okay. We've done all 50 states. We played the Netherlands. We played in Canada. We've done cruise ships and things like that. We play music that sometimes we do shows for kids. Sometimes we do shows for adults and do all of them. Where do we play? I, okay, go ahead. Just, just one thing. We may be the only band in the world that has ever opened for 
Bob Dylan, and Barney. Wow. <laughs> That's a question. <laughs> we, have, we played the White House twice when Bill Clinton wow. was there. So, uh, I mean, we, we've That's done a lot big. of shows all over the place. A lot of festivals. Yeah. Our last show was March the 7th. We were in Montgomery County in Pennsylvania. And that's when everything hit. That became a hot spot. We came home and quarantined for a month without each other. And we've opened up big enough where I can come over to his house and we can play music together. And that's about mm-hmm. as big as we want to open up right now. It's, right. Uh, it's not good. Everything, every, our you, whole calendar pretty much got canceled. Are you guys uh, recording in that recording studio? Yes, we are. It is the only thing we can do right now. So we are uh-huh. songs and recording, and we are live streaming some concerts. We did our first oh, cool. live stream uh, festival the other day, uh, Central Pennsylvania Festival for the Arts up in uh, Happy Valley. Yes, yeah, State College. And we, we did this uh, from Ezra Studio, and it went real well. We've done three live streams on our own. Adapting to playing for a camera lens instead of an audience is a leap. And it's taken us a few times to get that comfort zone that we get so easily on stage. But I feel like we had it the last time we did it. Great. Okay. You have more of those coming up? We do. We have a couple of them in August. We have a website, troutmusic.com, and if people Mm -hmm. go to that, uh, they can find out all kind of information about where they can f- hear us, uh, how to get CDs and stuff like that, or how to download music from Trout. So, uh, yeah, I know we have two coming up in August. Great. One is okay. with one is with something in in Michigan. There's a club up there called the Ark, and we'll be uh, we were scheduled to play there, but they're going to live stream us instead. And I forget where the next one is from, but it's somewhere. Cool. Well, now we're going to play another one of your songs um, that you sent us called The Strangest Time. Um, Before we play it, can you tell us a little bit about it? You know, this was written before all this time got really, really weird. Yeah, Um, I was wondering. (laughs) But it's amazing how sometimes when you write something – It just really resonates, and this one really does resonate. These are strange times. When we wrote it, we were commenting that this is getting weird. This whole thing is getting weird. That was a a little bit while back, and then it just Uh kept getting weirder. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) the song fits really well. And in it, the guy is singing, Ezra is singing this song, and he's sort of looking at things that really can't happen. These things can't happen, and they are happening. So it's it's Mm -hmm. all on. So strangest times. Okay, well, hang on the line. We're going to play a bit of that song, and then we'll come back for a moment before we go, okay? Great. All right. If I see a full moon rising, watch a half moon set. If I reach into my pocket to get what I can't get, if it all stops making sense, I know I'll be just fine. Honey, you show up, you show up, you show up at the strangest times. When everything goes never green, fences fall apart. When getting better makes it worse When I cannot start When the coyotes howl And the wind stops on a dime Honey, you show up You show up You show up At the strangest times When the choirs fall silent And the bells won't ring When all my days get lost And I can't find anything 
it was raining in the morning, snowing hard by noon. Five o'clock, the world was closed and it won't reopen soon. I was wishing I weren't lonely, feeling low and left behind. Honey, you show up, you show up, you show up at the strangest time. Yeah. Oh. All right. <laughs> a little technical problem getting on. Uh, I'll say. Are you sure you Are you sure that you didn't just write that song? <laughs> it sounds like it, doesn't it? <laughs> it that really does. That, you, that instrument you were listening to, that's Ezra on the bazooki. It's an eight-string oh, wow. uh, instrument, and it. It it really drove that song. So yeah, it yeah. does sound yeah, like today, doesn't it? It really does. Boy, I could I I could really feel that. So I understand. Some, What's that? Go ahead. Sorry. So I've been reading some gonna... James Baldwin recently, and it feels like he could have been writing it right now too. Stuff that he wrote back in the '60s. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yep. A lot of a lot of things are coming back. All at once. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Keith, I understand that you went to high school with our producer, Art Mendoza. I did. I did. I haven't seen Art in so long, and it's just been so great reconnecting with him. I uh, kept running across his posts on Facebook, and I kept thinking, man, I like this guy. I mean, he was always <laughs> a good guy, but, I mean, we just sort of drifted apart for a bunch of years. And, uh, I mean, you know, you get off on your own, travel and play. But, yeah, sure. Art and I went to school together back in Houston, Texas, about 100 years ago, okay. too. Yeah, well, I figured that. Now, now you're giving, it away, giving away your age. <laughs> so um, I'm glad you reconnected, too, because I really like your music. So, well, thank um, you. Thank you very much. Yeah. And so the the main place where people can find your information and the live stream information and all of your CDs would be troutmusic.com. Is that right? That is correct. Uh, The entire music business has gone online, it looks like. Yes, it has. So, yeah. Well, I'm going to post that on the post about this show later tonight so listeners can just click on it later. It'll take you to their website. Thank Thanks you so, so much. much. Ha- yeah, go on. Thanks for having us on. This is awesome. Really appreciate this. Yeah, and thank you so much for for making time on a Sunday evening to be on the program. It's great. Stay safe. Stay safe up there. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. We're hanging out. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, you, you have a good too. evening. Thank okay, you. Bye bye. Yes. All right. Bye bye now. All right. So before Art knocks us off the air, let me let you know what's happening next week. Um, Next Sunday, July 26th, we'll be back with another show live from here in Austin, and we'll be joined by Dr. Steve Perry, who's an educator, social worker, and renowned motivational speaker about revolutionizing education in America. And if you want to hear this evening's program and get the website information about my guests on the program, um, go to my website later tonight, drmaricarpel.com, and it'll all be there with the uh, podcast link. And if you want to hear this evening's show in as um, in as soon as five minutes from now, you can go straight to Blog Talk Radio, B-L-O-G, talkradio.com slash your golden ears, or you can go to Apple Podcasts. And be sure to follow me on Facebook for upcoming events. Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. This show was produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions. And special thanks to my guests, Michael Caputo, Keith Grimwood, and Ezra Eidlett of Trout Fishing in America, Minerva and Ruben in the Bay of Banderas, Mexico. And of course, thank you to Art. Thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night and inspiring week. And remember, has no age. Good night, everyone. Stay safe.
if I see a full moon rising, watch a half moon set. If I reach into my pocket to get what I can't get, if it all stops making sense, I know I'll be just fine. Honey, you show up, you show up, you show up at the strangest times. Any guidance offered by Dr. Carpell is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpell, her sponsors, nor this station assumes responsibility for the misuse of any of the information given on this show. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.